0: And now, coming to you from our studios high in the northeast Georgia mountains, it's the Dangerous Skills Podcast, featuring compelling guests and conversation centered on faith, freedom, social evolution, and personal security. Be sure to listen closely, because if you miss out on the danger, you'll never learn the skills. And now, the most dangerous host in the digital space,
1: Charles Powell. And yes, thank you, Judy. Welcome to the Dangerous Skills Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Powell, and yes, she's right. I just might be the most dangerous host in the digital space. My guest today is Gary Bird. He's the founder and director of M25, Mission M25 Ministries, and he's, I've known him for 20, 21 years, and I'm really excited to have him with us today. You're going to find out an awful lot about how dangerous his side of the street is when we come back right after this message.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Beebop's Bakery and Bistro, located on Church Street in Royston, Georgia, has become a destination spot for vacationers traveling through the Peach State and locals alike. On the bakery side, they offer a wide variety of traditional and signature pastries, muffins, cupcakes, cookies, and all. The last time I encountered red velvet carrot and cheesecake this good, it came from one of my favorite bakeries in Brooklyn Heights, New York. And yes, they do take special orders.
1: Bebop's Bakery and Bistro, to love on people with food. And we're back. Welcome back to the Dangerous Skills Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Powell. And our guest today is Gary Bird. He's the director, the founder of Mission M25 Ministries. Gary, thank you for being here. It's a real privilege to get to be here. Well, thanks an awful lot. Well, uh, I I just want to begin, I just want to jump right in and tell me about your life in ministry before you founded
2: the ministry. You know, I was talking to a pastor last night and they uh, always seen me as a rebel. Um, Even when I dressed with a suit and tie and I carried the briefcase and squirted the foo-foo juice on and looked like and acted like what I thought the church wanted me to, I still had that rebel inside of me. I was still wanting to follow God, not follow man, and that whole scenario led me from my very first experience at the age of 16 of working outside the boundaries. And uh, we filled up the largest churches in Oklahoma City with young people. Wow. And I was the president. And uh, so it, it, he told me, he said, Gary, you were never a rebel without a cause. <laughs> you know? And so I just kind of fit in my, what I felt like God wanted me to, to f- do. But I tried for a season to be what the church expected me to be. Well, uh, now...
1: I like the word you use, rebel. Um, institu- the church is an institution. The church is. as a whole is an institution. And I, you know, people that know me know I am usually quite a critic of all institutions. Uh, institutions don't like the truth, and religious institutions like the truth least uh, of yeah. all other institutions. So y- you were known to be a bit of a rebel. It's kind of a dangerous thing to be a rebel in an
2: institution, isn't it? It's uh, not a comfortable place to live. You know, I had a psychologist analyze me one time, and he said, you have a war going on inside of you all the time. You (laughs) want people to like you, but you're going to do what you feel like you got to do. And those two battle each other internally, and it's lived out in the flesh. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, as much as you might
1: think that that's a difficult and a terrible and a lonely place to be, almost every person who ever sits in that chair you're sitting in has the same thing going on for them. Yeah. What brought about the call to form Mission M25?
2: be real honest, I started reading the Bible. You know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, our church had grown. We had over 800 members. We were blowing and going. had a great staff. Uh, they treated me very well, um, had, back in those days, we had what we called armor bearers, they they took care of me. Briefcase and, uh, toters. Huh? Briefcase toters. Yeah, and so, anyhow, um, I've come to a point, I was dying on the inside, the church was growing, people were happy, but I was dying on the inside, and I said, I want to be like Jesus, and I just started Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just diving into them, and God took me through a journey all the way. It took me three times to read Matthew, the first chapter, before I got what he was trying to get me. <laughs> you know, uh, those those women in there. And uh, the, oh, yeah. the people that the church refused to to embrace, that was who he put in his lineage. And it just started from there. And when I got over to Matthew, the 25th chapter, it said, if you don't feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and go to the prisons, you go to hell. That's what I read. And so... Um, I know the first time I went to a prison, I mean, here I've been in ministry all these years and never been in a prison. On the way down there, I was thinking, man, thank God, it's an eight-hour motorcycle ride one way. I get out of the office, and I get God off my back. You know, (laughs) I'm going to go to a prison. And I got down there, and God just tore my heart out. And uh, I learned at that point, Charles, that I never did anything unless I was broken for it. Because the Bible says you can give your body to be burned, and if you don't have love, it means nothing. And so I don't do anything. I try my very best, Charles, never to do anything that my heart hadn't been broken for because I want it to count. I was reading one of the great Christian
1: authors, it might have even been Spurgeon, that talked about how when God's going to do something important in a man's life, and a
2: person's life, he breaks them first. Got to break Got a break. And that's, I, I did that underneath a bridge with a homeless guy. I did it in a um, prison with a, a young man that uh, was mentally challenged uh, and they were abusing him every time he took a shower. Mm. Uh, God broke my heart there. God broke my heart at the Wounded Knee Massacre site for the Native American on Hokahay. I mean, I could just go through the list. Uh, a veteran, the reason I do so much for veterans. Um, a guy who was a captain in the military, he pulled me down by the Vietnam Wall, and he said, let me show you the demons I fight. And mm. it was men that, that died, and, and I sat there and, or knelt there with him and wept. Um, those are the things that define my life now is, is people who have broken my
1: heart. Well, now, when God changes your heart, sometimes he changes your clothes. You want to tell me a little bit about, I mean, because he changed your clothes, but he might not have changed the clothes of the
2: people around you. Yeah, well, you know, we're, this is winter, and I've got my long sleeves on. But uh, when I was in the fifth grade, uh, I'm the only kid in class that don't have any sleeves in my shirt. Uh, I, I'm known around the country, I don't wear uh, sleeves in, and uh that kind of troubled the church, you know, it troubled them. i never forget, I, I was a denominational leader, and I'd go into the meetings, and uh, I'd wear my blue jeans, and, and they would say, uh, well, man, I wish I could wear jeans. And I said, well, girl, what's that? You know? <laughs> Nobody's making you dress anyway. Dress the way you want to dress. And now I go back into those same meetings, I'll be dang if all of me were jeans, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, it it they took me to a place one time and uh, they wouldn't even let me put my motorcycle in there. And I told the leader, I said, "Quit taking us to places that I can't go." You know? Yeah. It was very uncomfortable. Um, not only for me, but for them. You know, they they didn't know they they could see something different, but they couldn't wrap their head around, you know, how to embrace it without it messing up stuff and it's just been a joy watching our institution and it is an institution but watching our institution come to the place that they're embracing us yes it's it's, it's if I have a word for young people it's be who God created you to be one of the most dynamic things that's been spoken to me recently is I have the perfect DNA to do what God wants me to do. And that is so hard for us. But God put the the correct grandfather, grandmothers, the the correct mother and father. He went through all the problems to get my mother and father together to produce me so that I could have the DNA that God wants me to have to do what I'm supposed to do. And just a little quick snip of that. I, my grandfather was a fist fighter. He'd go to town. He was a sharecropper. And they'd say, Dad, don't get in a fight. They'd ride in that old wagon behind that Pop and Johnny. And they said within 15 minutes, he'd be out in the street fighting. My dad was a fighter. I watched my dad, five 5'7", 130 pounds, look at two men that were over 6 foot and tell him, if you'll walk out that street, I'll whoop you. And I'll drag you up and down this street. And if you'll bring that old lady you're married to, I'll whoop her too. <laughs> and when, I, when he made me fight my first fight, you know, I mean, he made me fight that fight. He said, you're going to fight her or him or I'm going to whoop you. And I knew my dad didn't know how to count. And, I would, man, I wasn't in for that. And inside of me broke loose a fight. And I can remember some years in my teenager's. Years where I just fist fought. I was, went to church camp, was in three fist fights the first two days. They didn't know what to do with me. But they tried to cast the fight out. It was in my DNA. Now I fight, but I fight with radical love. I fight with radical service. Yes. I fight with every, Charles, I fight with everything that is in me to make my kids have a better world than what they have today. Oh, that's incredible. Sorry, I went on a little tangent no, there. No, but, no, no, no. That's, that's 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 what I'm about. You well, know? okay. So you made the change. You know,
1: your your clothes changed and your mission changed. A lot of things changed. Uh, can you remember a time? And I've heard you speak a number of times. But can you remember a time? Uh, I know you used to go hang out with a different crowd of people. You weren't hanging out at Bishop So and So's gathering. A lot of times, you were hanging out with the local biker group or whatever. Can you remember a time that you? Might, that the church folks might have said, well, he's just in a whole lot of danger, you know? So, so any dangerous situations
2: you can relate? I, I, I th- of course, one of the first ones that come to mind, I've been in several, but I, I can remember one of the first ones was the outlaw club that runs our area. I can't give those words out. but sure. The outlaw club that run our area, uh, one of them had a bike rack. And my wife and I watched all the Christians sat on their bikes in wonder, and the two of us fired our bike and went up to the place where they were, and uh, they had told me, people in the church and people in the Christian uh, biker community told me, said, now listen, when you go into their shop, they had a motorcycle place at that time. They said, be sure and turn around and wave, the FBI is watching you, and so we went down and I'll never forget, I'm standing in a, a half circle with the president here, and he had just gotten out of prison for stabbing a guy. And around, he goes, you go here, you go here, you go here. And he gets to me, and he goes, and you, hey, dude, would you go down there and tell him I need a trailer? And my wife's sitting over there, baby and the man who his face looked like hamburger meat. He had slid down the road and just tore oh. his face all up. And... I told him, I said, hey, I have a cell phone. That was back before we all carried them. And, he, and I said, I can call 911. He said, dude, we don't call 911. We take care of our... The bike was probably hot. He was probably wanted. You know what I'm saying? And I walked into that clubhouse, and I had perfect peace. Yeah. But it scared the church. They didn't know how to take that. Clearly. And... Over and over, I've been in places where I knew that if I went over this way, uh, it would not be good. Over here, they were smoking dope, and I'd get high. You know, I knew this was, had, pl- and I'd just stand in the middle. Yeah. And watch God. One day, I was standing by a cigarette machine, drinking a Coca-Cola in a biker bar. And I could have swore that I was wearing a clerical collar (laughs) because everybody started coming up, confessing their sins to me. So, yeah, we've been in some places. It's
1: great. Well, well, I can understand that. I've had the same situation. You know, you would think going out and doing the good work. uh, But I have also had federal alphabet organizations uh, get involved in my life uh, with regard to our work fighting human trafficking. right? And you would think they'd be like, well, I'm just so excited about the work they're doing, but no, I, I don't get a whole lot of love from them. But I, I understand in a situation where I've been surrounded by traffickers in, in great danger, I mean, multinational, ethnic organized crime, you name it, uh, surrounded by all that, but an absolute sense of peace of God to be where you're supposed to be in the moment. Uh, you know, it's never more dangerous. To me, it's more dangerous to be where you're not supposed to be, which could even be in the pulpit of a church you're not called to be at. Uh, It's more dangerous there than it
2: would be to be wherever God's called you to be. My wife tells them all the time, we believe we're in the safest place because we follow God. And we do believe our children will be blessed because we are doing that, which will bring blessings for two generations. And so Absolutely. Living on that edge it was something interesting. Um, I heard a gentleman, Lee Grady, make a statement about how to finish well. And he did a good job. But the Lord spoke to me. I was going to share that. And, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, those were all defensive. I've called you to be on the offensive. Ugh. The church plays defense. They, we live in defense. And that's why we've lost our country. We've built big churches. We've built multiple churches. But we've lost our country. And it's because we're playing defense. And the Lord's called me. And I believe he's calling a, um, um, the church, the body, to get outside those four walls and to play on the offense. And one of the first things he told me was when you get old, I want to finish well, Charles. I'm 72. And I want to finish well. And, and that's what I was talking to him about. He said, first thing you got to do is quit playing risk management and continue to live a risky life. When I read the Bible, the men who finished well never stopped taking risk. Mm. And we get old and we stop taking the risk. You know, my kids, one of them looked at me one time, I do a diaper run. I go from coast to coast in less than 50 hours. We ride 23 hours, sleep two hours, and get up and ride another 23 or 24 hours on our motorcycles, raising baby diapers and baby wipes and cash for pro-life homes. They don't, our families don't understand. No. The church don't understand. Right. People don't understand. But we, if we follow Jesus, he lived risk all the way to his death. Paul Rand, his final act was running to his death. What I want to do, I want to slide into my grave, beat up, tore up, scratched up, wore out, and totally broke.
1: Not one more mile
2: left. On <laughs> Not you. one more mile left.
1: Yeah, I always have to tell my people when they're like worried about, you know, they hear I came back from some rescue or, or whatever we've done. I have to always tell them I get better when worse When worse comes along, I get better. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to ask you a very important question, but before I do that, let's go to a commercial and we'll be right back after this message.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Charles Powell spent two years of his life going undercover gaining intel on ethnic organized crime. Street gangs and foreign state sponsors all profiting from human trafficking. These investigations combined with groundbreaking research provided by Dylan Burroughs, brought about their authoring the most essential book for those seeking a handle on human trafficking in the U.S. Not In My Town, exposing and ending human trafficking and modern-day slavery, where every individual can respond to the question of slavery with a resounding, Not In My Town.
1: And thank you very much, and welcome back. I am with... Gary Bird, and he is the founder and the director of Mission M25 Ministries, and I want to ask you what something means. Define something for us. Fall nam. What is that?
2: <laughs> well, it's something that the Lord gave me in 2005. I was headed to serve some veterans and uh, on a mission called Run for the Wall. Oh, yeah. Motorcycle ride from California to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're riding to remember at that time, and we still do, the Vietnam veterans who were overlooked and forgotten. I'm not a veteran. Uh, I'm not a biker. Um, I knew no one. And I'm sitting on the side of my bed trying to jack myself up. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you can help me with this, you know? And uh, as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to keep your mouth shut. Just be a light. And I realized that the church never taught us to be a light. It The church teaches us to be a mouth. And so I said, God, I don't even know how. And he said, just follow me. And I went to the check-in, and they gave me a little pen, and it had FNG on it. And I asked him, I said, what does this stand for? And they turned me around. The lady, Charles, literally took me by the coat and turned me around. And she said, oh, you're one of those, a Christian. She said, for you, it's the funny new guy. And it came out of the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah. And so... I thought, okay, everybody laughed at me, and so I thought, okay. And I went in, I'd wrecked my bikes, long story, I'm all bandaged up, bandaged myself up. And uh, I walked in, a guy in the back said, so you laid her down. Everybody laughed at me, and I walked out, and I said, God, so everybody just laughs, is that the light? And I walked down and just started meeting people, and let him lead me, and I was learning the lingo. I got to the first gas stop, and I told the guy, I said, hey, I need to buy you. You take a gas to say thank you from the church for your service to our country. He said, I don't need your money and I don't need your gas, but would you say a prayer for me? And I learned at that point what it was to be a light. To go out and hang around people and just look for places to listen to them. Don't be a mouth. The church goes out and answers questions they're not even asking. And if we just go out and be a light, smile, be happy, be genuinely interested in their lives and listen, not try to inject a story, but just listen to them. I'm not a veteran. I didn't have a story. And my weakness that I wasn't a veteran became my strength Mm. because I wasn't out there trying to compete with a story. I just listened to them. And watch God bring healing and watch God deliver them from demons that haunted them by simply letting them talk to me. So now I just go out, I find ways to maybe feed them, maybe uh, give them some diapers. But the most important thing I do is sit and listen. Be a light, not a mouth.
1: I like that. That's really good. A lot of people could learn from that. Okay, so we'll move on. I'll ask you a really, uh, this question is, is difficult for a lot of people. A lot of ministers don't want to really face this, and those that might sometimes won't answer it honestly. But in the society and culture we're living in today, what is the church getting wrong, and what can we do different?
2: I woke up this morning asking God what He would have me to say on this program or this interview, whatever. and um, first and foremost that lives in my heart is that we keep talking to talk but not doing the walk. And we talk about the church has to be outside the four walls of the city or the, the church. I love Hebrews the 13th chapter, the 13th verse in the passage translation. It says, arise and go and follow me outside the religious walls. And then down at verse 16, it says, the thing that God honors and respects and blesses is you've taken every opportunity to assist somebody that needs hope. Now that's my paraphrase. I'm not quoting it, but that to me, the church is they they try to obey God, but they want it in the confines of safety, security, they, where they never have to be vulnerable. And to me, the church is never going to get it and t- right until they get outside the four walls. Charles, one of the greatest things that's happening in my journey right now is that I've lived 20 years 23 years, I believe it is exactly, outside the four walls. I try to live half my life outside the four walls of the church. I, I, I value the church. The church, we can't lose that footprint in America. Right. We've got to have it. I spend half my time there, and I try to spend half my time outside those four walls. The blessing is is that the Lord has seen fit to give me a building where I can now train people but he has given me a connection with a group called Christ Central Institute where that we're training people to be community chaplains, Mm. how to live outside the four walls of the church, how to be a servant outside, not go out there and preach, not go out there and we're not even there to meet all their needs. We're there to simply give hope. If you look at my patch, it says a ministry of hope. We want to give hope to a hopeless society. And the church is inside screaming about things when we should be outside embracing people that are hopeless, being a light, not a mouth, Set with them and listen to them. An old army chaplain, retired, told me one time, I said, man, I'm not a veteran. What do I do? He said, it's called the ministry of presence. Just go and sit with them. Mm. Just go and be there. We have chaplains now. One of them went to a mother that her son, teenage son, had just committed suicide. They had a professional chaplain come up, and he tried to give her words and got in his car and drove off. Our chaplain just sat there. And a little bit later, he sat there for two and a half hours, and he, she finally reached over and put her head on his shoulder and just cried. Hope. My granddaughter, 15 years old, when she done, 16 years old when she'd done this, but they had told her the ministry of presence. And she said, Papa, there was a little girl in free camp. And she said she was troubled, causing us trouble. And he, she said, I just went and sat with her. She said, I miss lunch. I miss the activities. She said, Papa, I sat with her four hours without saying a word. And finally a tear started running down her face. And she opened up and told me her story. Charles, relationships are not microwave. Mm. Cares not microwave, takes time. And so if we as a church are gonna save our country, it's not gonna be with our pulpits it's not going to be in our private places of prayer. I preached yesterday, preached my little heart out. I prayed this morning, I believe in prayer. But until we take what we have been endowed with from on high, that power and fellowship his sufferings, fellow Philippians 3:10. I got a knowing? I have got to experience his power and I have to be Out there suffering where he suffered. Arise and follow him outside the religious walls. Wow.
1: Well, I know that you have, and uh, I didn't originally have this as a question to ask, but I know you have a strong relationship with the people of Israel and a strong relationship with the IDF now. I have a friend who is uh, an IDF uh, member. I shot with her at an event in Indianapolis, uh, and when, we, when it was finished, I told her of the great love I had for the people of Israel and the IDF, and she took her flag patch off and gave it to me, and I, I put it over my heart on my plate carriers where I keep it, uh, and so, tell us, speak with us just a minute about what recently happened in Israel with the uh, attacks by Hamas on the innocent women and children. And uh, tell us about uh, your relationships there, what you've heard, what you're hearing, what your feelings are about all of this, and where's God in it?
2: You know, I've, I've taken motorcycles to Israel three times. And... Uh... The last time I was there, we didn't take a motorcycle, but we took bandanas. And they have the soldier's prayer in Hebrew that they pray on one side. And on the other side of it, we have Psalms 91 in English. And we've given probably around 2,500 of those away to IDF soldiers. And I know in 2011 when we went, they they messaged us and said we're holding on to that bandana we're believing you're praying for us and uh, today if you walk out and look at my motorcycle you'll find one of those bandanas on my handlebars Um, when the attack happened um, I reached out to my friends uh, that I was close to in Israel and they wrote back and they said you know it's our Pearl Harbor it's our 9-11 and Fortunately, all of those that I have befriended are safe. Their children are on the war fronts. They're troubled. Um, a very, very dear friend of mine named Maximilian Katz, he's a Romanian Jew. Grandparents was killed in the Holocaust. I rode across ten countries with him of Europe. We left London and rode all the way to Jerusalem together. We've ridden from Santa Monica, California to Chicago on old Route 66 and then over to New York City. And when the the synagogue was blown up in Pennsylvania in 2017, 18, 2018, he and I lit the candles at ground zero for the Jews that were killed that day. I got a message from him today. And... Uh, It was a video of the commander of the IDF. And there's great courage on their side that they're gonna win this thing. Um, They believe the days are dark, but we believe, I wrote them back, the God of mercy and power is with them. And uh, we're standing with Israel. Um, When I did the ride across Europe, they had TV cameras on me biggest part of the time and then we did several of these interviews and they would always bait me and try to get me are you going to blindly support Israel you know what if they do wrong are you still going to support them you know and I would look at them I say I'm not getting into your politics what I'm doing is I'm getting into the Bible and my Bible tells me if I bless Israel I'll be blessed and so I'm going to stand with Israel I'm going to stand with the Jews And um, today or tomorrow, I will pull off the side of the road and make a video to send to him of my support. Um, I I want the church to know if, if we get anything right, probably the only thing that's protecting America right now from the extreme judgment of God is the fact that we are still standing behind Israel I can see some movement that's not comforting, but as long as we stand for Israel, I believe God will have mercy upon us. Um, How God has not brought America under judgment for the innocent lives that have been destroyed through abortion, I don't know. Um, Historically, God has always destroyed and rebuilt and why he hasn't done that to us thus far, I don't know. The only thing that I can find is, is that we have stood with Israel. And so may God help us uh, to continue to stand with them, uh, continue to pray for them, encourage them uh, during this horrible, horrible mess that's going on. One more question. What,
1: what would you say are... Helpful hints to people. What are the dangerous skills you've learned over this period of time, when you have uh, mid in the middle of your life changed your direction, and you've learned and experienced, and you you didn't necessarily just learn. I mean, you had wrecks both uh, in experience and literal wrecks on the motorcycle. You've uh, it's not all been easy but what are the dangerous skills, what are the things people can take away from your experience and you can learn, they can learn
2: about uh, your life? You know, one of the things that uh, you have to truly believe that it's okay to die. Um, I was in Montana, Yellowstone National Park. I was on Hoka Um, My riding partner said, look over there, and there was a coyote walking by. And I zipped up in, it's 37 degrees, and I zipped up into my mummy bag. And I started thinking about that coyote. Then I got to thinking about bear. And I thought, wow, I could be a great taco here, you know. (laughs) And the Lord said, you're afraid to die, aren't you? And I said, I think I am God. He said, just lay down. We're going to deal with that. And God took away the fear of dying. And he took it away from my wife when we wrecked. we went, we went airborne doing 70 miles an hour. And uh, I told my kids I'd stay off my bike for two months, and I did. And then back on. And my wife, when it came time, she jumped back on the bike, and she's with me. So fear. I think we got to get over the fear. America, fear was exposed through COVID. Uh, we, we acted like cowards instead of... of people that were saints and so I think fear I think the second one is humility Um, I used to be pretty brassy and I've learned that humility is a very big key but it has to be wrapped in the right package right Uh, you know um, I faced an outlaw biker one time and he jumped in my face and I knew that it If I backed down and acted meek, what the church thinks meek, if I acted that way, he would lose respect for me. And so when he took a step toward me, I took a step toward him. I've done that several times. Um, Take a step toward him to let him know I'm not afraid. Don't don't confuse my humility with cowardness. Weakness. Weakness. And so I took a step toward him. And the Christians that was with me were literally scared to death. They thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to get cut. And then to allow humility at the right time, that that kindness to come out of my mouth, to watch him melt. And he looked at me and he said, man, anytime you're back in this town, you need anything. He said, I got a sofa you can sleep on. He said, I got a trailer. I'll come and get you. If you need your bike fixed, I'll help you get it fixed. He said, "I'm here for you, bro." But it wasn't. It wasn't because I was brassy and I was tough and I was mean. It was because I wasn't afraid that I was humble. And I think we I think the church creates a lot of cockiness and a lot of arrogance. Oh, I'm not afraid of the devil. All right. Oh, Cass, a bunch of bunk. We fold like a cheap suit when we get into the face of real stuff. And so I think that those are the biggest things. I mean, I could make a list, but those are the biggest things to me is walking humbly, giving mercy, uh, seeking what's right. I think I read that in a book, that that's the way I was supposed to live my life. And stand up for what's right. Um, I know when I've stood, uh, when, when they wanted us to do a marriage for two lesbians, and we told them, and we, one of them was an atheist, and we told him, we said, listen, sir, we've done everything we can to serve you, but we're not going to cross the line of what we believe. And when he looked at me, he's a Marine, a man's man, And he looked at me and he said, I would have been disappointed had you folded. They're looking for people who will stand, but stand with humility. And just a side note, that those two lesbians could have torn us up, called us names and spread rumors about us. And there was 2000, maybe 1500 veterans on that run. And they could have blasted us. But we had 10 years, Charles, of giving them water and Gatorade. We had 10 years of going to the hospital with them that when they had a wreck. We had 10 years of praying with them when they asked us to. We had 10 years of listening to their stories and crying with them. They knew we loved them. And you know the cool thing about it, Charles? Three months later, I did a diaper run. And those two lesbians were standing on the street waiting for us to get there to give us diapers. We don't have to hurt people. Right. We don't have to. Not if we're humble and if we're kind, but stand for what's right.
1: Those are good words to end on, and I can hear the music playing. Uh, A humble, resolute, and righteous man the most dangerous man of all. Thank you for watching the Dangerous Skills Podcast. I'm Charles Powell. We'll see you next time.
0: This has been the Dangerous Skills Podcast. End transmission.